We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 53. First things first, I wanted to say TGIF for the very first time because my episodes usually come out on Mondays, but we decided to do a second episode this week coming at you live on a Friday because our guest today, who is the publisher of the Plaid Horse magazine, the co-host of the Plaidcast, as well as an author and a professor at St. Lawrence University, is our guest today, but she also interviewed me on the podcast, and that episode comes out over there today as well. So, lots of fun things going on this Friday, but before you head over there, let's listen to this interview with educator, entrepreneur, and equestrian enthusiast, Dr. Piper Clem. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, would love to kind of start off how you first got into the horse world, what that looked like for you getting into the industry. So my parents love to tell this story. I was about three and at a birthday party and there were pony rides and um, classic. the first go on the pony ride, all 30 kids lined up. The second ride, 15 kids lined up and third ride, three kids lined up and then they're opening presents. Oh, they're eating cake and Piper was on the pony. Oh, the ponies need to go home and Piper's still on the pony. No way. Oh, I love um, it. So I come from a completely non-horse family. I begged for lessons um, for years. I think when I was seven, um, my parents finally said I could start taking lessons once a week. And and they literally opened the phone book and the yellow pages. You know, they tra- called some people they knew who thought their kids ride, but we knew absolutely nothing. We had no idea what we were looking for or how to get started. And I think about that a lot when I do the plaid horses that we have my parents are the most well-intentioned and could they have known even what to research, they would have gone all out, but they just, you know, you don't know what you don't know in this sport, I think in a greater way than any other sport. So totally. So you happened upon some riding lessons, started riding, we're full on horse girl. And then once you were getting a little bit older, starting to think about school and stuff, was it kind of in the back of your head that you were wanting to do something with horses for the rest of your life? Or what did that kind of mindset look like at that point in time? Um, I always wanted to be around horses for the rest of my life, you know, as so many things do. I mean, I, I hit a couple of bumps in the road and I was a working student and I worked off stuff. Um, my parents being non-horse people got me an unbroke two-year-old um, when I was 12, um, oh <laughs> as you do. <laughs> the one thing my parents really instilled in me is that they're both retired now, but they're business professors and they wanted me to learn from this of what it really takes And when I wanted a pony, I had to give presentations. I had to treat it like a business. And so I kept logs of everything, mileage to the barn, every blanket, every lesson of what this pony costs. But to their credit, they always let me make all the decisions about, you know, what barn I wanted to ride at and where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do with the pony. And, um, you know, I had to organize my own things and I did anything I could. I groomed, I braided, I saw anything I could. And so I got this appreciation for, for what the sport takes. But on the other side, you know, being a working student and seeing so much wealth and 
lack of appreciation of the animals and the sport also kind of burned me at that age. I really Mm -hmm. wasn't mature enough to handle the inherent kind of unfairness of the sport. Sure. I worked like crazy and I got really frustrated and I burned out. So when I was 17, I stopped riding and decided to do college and not look back. But of course, we all know that's not how the sport works. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally. So you went to school. What did you study? Chemistry. Okay. And what did you think that you wanted to do with chemistry? Um, I always wanted to run my own business because I really know when I'm right. That's something I've learned in life. Like other people have told me, including this pony, like on stuff that I couldn't do. And there's so many naysayers, as I know, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, from... (laughs) this industry. So many people are so busy telling you what you can't do. And I know what I can't do and I know what I can do. And to have people discount me for my age, for my gender, for perceived competence, um, always really frustrated me. (laughs) So, um, coming out of grad school, I really, I really knew that I wanted to pursue something that's, you know, I could run the ship and, and it's been really interesting because I wanted to run a business because I didn't want anyone to tell me what to do, but mm-hmm. what I didn't really anticipate comes with that is you have to tell other people what to do, but I'm yeah. usually kind of uninterested in that. <laughs> so that's been a huge struggle for me. Wow. Wow. So you thought, did you want to do something medical or what was the, is that kind yep. of the idea? Okay, cool. Yep. I always saw it kind of biotechnology scientific Got discovery. It. You know, I never saw myself employed in the horse industry. Right. Um, even when it actually happened, I still didn't see it for a few years as being a <laughs> This permanent. is temporary. Yeah. 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 So then after college, what happened? Um, I went to grad school, not riding. I had all the great attributes of a horse girl. Um, I had extremely disciplined time management, especially compared to my peers in college. I was really able to prioritize tasks and I did a ton of research. I went to a lot of conferences. I graduated um, a year early and then I went to grad school and people would tell me that it, it was the toughest time of their life. And I would be like, try grooming at WEF. <laughs> like, for real. Yeah. You know, and grad school is really hard, but I, I find the horses to be such an intellectual challenge. I really do because, mm. you know, every horse you have to treat so individually and trying to make a winner out of each one. You're pulling from data sets that you have already. You're using all your knowledge of care and management and fitness and there are so many balls in the air that like, I I felt I was really used to that stuff and and going to grad school. It was hard and I learned a lot and it was awful. And I say all the time that I think learning is awful. Having learned is the best feeling in the world. But if you find the process of learning comfortable, you're not doing it right. Yeah. I was really successful because I had all these skills and I, you know, a lot of people don't come out of their daily life with the skills that we come out of Mm -hmm. the horse industry with. Definitely. What was your master's in? Uh, my PhD is in chemistry um, with an emphasis in biophysics. Got it. Okay. So then once you got that, then then where did you find yourself? I found myself burned out again. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in a lot of ways, I made the same mistakes. I did the horsing until I did it so hard and so much that I couldn't even stand it. I did the chemistry thing until I did it so hard and so much I couldn't even stand it. And, and I really had to take a step back and look at myself and be like okay. Like I took two things that I loved. I overdid them to a point that I hate them. So I really, you know, realized that I needed to take a moment and like, you know, and when I say I overdid it, the average PhD in chemistry at Berkeley is a shot, uh, just over six years. And I finished in three and a half. Oh um, my gosh. I overdid it. Wow. Um, just how, because how did tend- you, what did, <laughs> did you sleep or <laughs> uh, not really? <laughs> I just went. 
Yeah. I mean, I had full 12 month periods where I was not outside of lab for more than 12 consecutive hours for wow. a whole year. Like I did it, you know, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be the most competitive. I wanted to have the best science and the most papers and the most posters and mentor the most undergraduates. And I wanted it all. And wow. I did it. Wow. That is, I mean, that's unbelievable, but it's totally understandable why you finish and you're like, I would be fine never doing this ever again. <laughs> yep. Wow. I had not been to a horse show, I think in eight years at that mm. point. And my husband was like, he was like, do whatever you want. And like, he hadn't even really heard the word horse. Like I had not really been horsey. I want to go to the winter circuit for the whole circuit. And he was like, okay, have fun. <laughs> um, so I did, I booked a house and I went to Thurball for the whole circuit. And I am not, you know, I had gone back and forth a little bit as a kid, you know, as a working student and grooming. And, you know, I went to every horse show with people I could and the glamour of getting to go to a whole circuit and not having to go anywhere to just be there for the whole circuit. I was like, mm. it's my gift to myself. Yeah. So about a weekend, I was like, too bored to exist because I was like, oh, I'm going. <laughs> uh, and I had moved to California for grad school, but I hadn't shown really in California, you know, a few times um, when I was younger. But so I really didn't know anyone. So I'm at the horse show where I have nothing to do and don't know anyone. After, wow. Like, room. Yeah. <laughs> the first like two days, I was like, this is the best ever. And then by like Friday, I was like, oh my God, what did I do? <laughs> um, and that weekend there was a Facebook post that someone that I was Facebook friends with were looking for someone to cover the Grand Prix on Sunday. If you could cover it, um, anyone who can cover it, let me know. And I had never taken a journalism class in my life, but I was like, I can do that. Yeah. It was like a light bulb moment. Like my whole life, all I've ever wanted is to learn how to do this sport better. I hadn't even ridden in the, like in this moment, I hadn't ridden in like eight years. I had not sat on a horse. Wow. I was like, you know, growing up, I always wanted to just learn. And people always thought I was so annoying for asking questions and wanting to learn and being like, well, why do you do this? Or you know, yeah. they'd be like, put your left leg on. And I'd be like, but why? And they'd be like, stop. <laughs> just stop do as I back. say. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not talking back. I want to understand. Like, yeah. Please explain to me what, like, so that I can replicate this. And I mean, the world was totally different then. Like no one really talked to anyone in the same way. There was no exactly. way to access people you didn't know. Like, you know, there was no texting. There was no, I mean, you could walk up to someone like at a big show and ask them a question and they'd probably yell at you. <laughs> like, yeah. I had wanted to learn my whole life and I'd read every book I could and watched every VHS at the library a million times. And, mm -hmm. and there was just nothing out there for people who parents didn't always put them with the right trainers <laughs> and people who didn't yeah. have a budget and people who just wanted it, but didn't even know what they wanted. Right. And I started to write and take pictures for everybody that would take me. It's the same thing that I was talking about before. I really realized that I had a vision for this and no one else saw it. And this is a time where almost none of the publications were on social media at all. Yeah. And I like went to every publication and I'm like, let me start a Facebook page for you. And they were like, oh no, we don't need one of those. Yeah. And, and it was like, oh, like social media is just a fad or you don't know what you're talking about or wow. you know nothing about journalism. And I'm like, no, no, no. There's a whole world of people who feel the same way I do. You yeah. know, they're just missing something. Uh -huh. So I decided I could do it again and make money with a pony again. I still own the original pony, by the way. No way. I bought a few more ponies and I just decided to see what I could get done. And, um, and I, again, the ponies were another thing that like people are so passionate about and invest everything they have into breeding. And 
you know, the way media was structured back then, they were just completely ignored by the horse media we had available. And, you know, I, I just saw all these holes and, you know, I, I wanted to be part of changing it. And I wanted to be part of making opportunities for young people that wanted it and didn't know which way to go. And the timing ended up being perfect. You know, I got in a first wave of Instagram and then I thought I wanted a website and I worked on various websites. And I, I knew that I still looked like I was like 12 at that point. Because <laughs> um, people still ask me if I was showing in the Pony Hunters at that point. Oh, yep. Um, yep. <laughs> That's only stopped in like the last two years, I would say. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I feel like I'm going to forever get carded no matter where I am. <laughs> yep. You know, I knew I needed something with a little longevity behind me. Um, I had a little bit of money from leasing the original pony. Um, I paid my parents off, by the way, when I was 19. I bought them out of every expense they ever put wow. into my riding. Um, and they said I could keep the money after that. And a few years ago, I was telling someone this story, the story of the pony. And they, um, they were like, that's so mean. That's so mean. Your parents did that to you. And I was like, oh, I never thought about it as mean. Um, but that's interesting. So I was talking to my mom a few days after that. And I was like, oh, I was talking to so-and-so. And they were like, that's so mean. That's so mean. You did that to them. And my mom goes, like, does not miss a beat. What? It's not like I charge you interest. <laughs> there we go. It could be worse, Piper. <laughs> and I was like, that's my mother. Yeah. Um, so she's amazing. I will say that my parents never pressure, you know, this was my thing. They would back me up if I needed it on things, but like they let me go out and they didn't care if I made mistakes. And if I never bought them out of that pony, like they wouldn't have cared, but they wanted me to learn. And, and I think a lot of parents don't let their kids fail, like fail. They would have been perfectly fine sitting there while I failed and I learned my own lessons and I did mm -hmm. my own thing and, and they didn't protect me from this industry in a good way. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't think they would have let me go out with, you know, people they perceived as bad or anything like, like, I think sure. they were, you know, they would have stepped in if they needed to, but they didn't, yeah. they mostly let me just do my own thing. And I, I appreciate that so much from them. Definitely. Um, yeah. Cause I think you have had such a unique perspective and you've gone so far, I think a lot of it because of how you were in the industry in that way. Yeah, that's really interesting. So as you were starting to collect these gigs where you were, you know, like working during the circuit, how did you, you know, you alluded to the idea of reaching out to people about social media and them, you know, just, it, it wasn't really a thing, especially in the equestrian world. So how did you feel like you kind of broke through that barrier? At that point, did you decide to go your own route and create your own space or were you still working with other people for a while after that? I knew I needed something that had some longevity behind it because I knew that I needed to buy something as sure. opposed to starting my own thing because I, I really felt like I just, I didn't look the part and I didn't have the connections to start my own thing. But I did have a little bit of the pony money and I started calling around and, you know, it's, it's like any horse sale. Like some people had stuff for sale that was ridiculously priced and some mm -hmm. people, you know, were very unrealistic about what came with the sale. And, you know, it was really hard. I was like ready to pour my soul into this. And then I didn't even know who owned the plaid horse. I contributed articles and photos for probably about a year at that point, but okay. like sent them to the plaid horse email. Like I didn't even know who owned yeah. it. And I started calling around and I got her name and phone number from someone. And I called her and she owned the plaid horse and the Paisley Pony um, at the time, Cindy Taylor. Mm -hmm. She had started both of them. And I said, would you sell either or both? And I didn't read into it at all. And she was like, yes, <laughs> like instantly. Oh. Yes. And it was like 
due diligence was done in like four or five weeks and it was turned over to me. And I was like, Oh, like, like it happened so fast. This is what I wanted, but then I got it. And I was like, oh, I don't know anything about running a magazine. <laughs> so then um, what? So she decided to sell the plot horse. I got that. And originally it was being run at a profit, not a large one, but at a profit. And I said, okay, I don't know that much. I can't change anything until I understand every aspect of how this runs. Um, so I didn't change anything. And we were still on newspaper print back then. And people were like, oh, you need to have real pages. And I was like, I cannot change anything. Um, what year was this? 2014. Okay. So June 1st, Devin 2014 was my first show okay. as owner. Wow. Yep. Um, and I was like, okay, you cannot change anything. By the way, I will mention here too, that we did a structured deal that I paid a down payment and then I paid her out of the profits every month for over two years. Got it. Um, so for the people out there who are like, I could not buy a magazine at 25, um, you know, like everybody worked with me and the stars aligned for this. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's really important for, for young people to understand is that you're not guaranteed a situation like this. This was, you know, the 10th or 15th I tried, sure. but I found a situation that worked for my financial constraints. Totally. Three employees were supposed to come with it. And of the three, one, she fired before the transition, one refused to work for me and went back to her and one ended up working for me and still wow. does. So it's, it was like, completely like, oh, and you have to put out a magazine in five weeks. Um, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So you at this point had no idea, you know, all the ins and outs of everything. And wow. I had written and taken pictures and I thought I could do it. Of course. I wasn't like thinking about the accounting and the subscriptions and really what the revenue model is and how we make this work. And, and I was like, oh, we're going to have fun making a big social media. And of Mm -hmm. course we did. But like, there were just so many other aspects. Like I didn't, you know, I'd never really done my own billing, you know, and not that yeah. I can't figure this stuff out, but it was like, really it's just all new. Yep. By force, like right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And on a timeline. Yep. It was hard in the beginning. You know, it was hard calling people and, and selling ads. Um, you know, I didn't oh, yeah. appreciate how hard that was. I think that, you know, at, at some level, I'm a natural leader, but I'm not a natural boss. Like, I don't want people to run with their own creative ideas. I want the freedom that I didn't have. And when I give other people that freedom, it doesn't always work out. And that makes me really sad. I'm a little bit free range. And like, you know, over the years, I'm like, okay, like corporations have structure for a reason. And mm-hmm. that makes me sad to say, honestly, because we grew, you know, one person and one little place at a time, um, I ended up training everyone because, you know, I essentially did all the roles in the beginning. And then as the roles grew, it it grew one person by one person. We grew very organically. We've never had outside investment. We've only grown from money we've brought in because we grew one person by one person. As we grew financially, I trained every person because I had done their job before then. Right. And I ended up, instead of making a hierarchy, I made it a wheel and the wheel had all the spokes into me. Um, Mm -hmm. And so then about a few years in, I started seeing signs that like, I might be running out of steam a little bit, but there was nowhere to go because the wheel only only pointed at me and only put all the pressure on me. And then once one spoke kind of broke a little bit, it really made the company ineffectual. And so there had to be a lot of changes during that time and, and they were really hard on me. Yeah. 
Okay, I want to take a quick break to talk to you a little bit about our sponsor today. Tucker Tweed Equestrian designs leather accessories for women who love horses and great style. Their goal since their debut over eight years ago was to create handbags and luggage with discipline-specific logos that tell the world, this is my passion. Today, they offer over 250 unique options for whatever ring you ride in. Found online and carried by over 120 tax stores throughout the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. Visit tuckertweed.com to see more. Tucker Tweed also wanted to remind you that shipping remains free for purchases through their website right now. Shipping is also free to Tucker Tweed's tax store partners. A complete list is found on their website. Please join them on Instagram and Facebook to learn more about tax store openings and specials as they continue to support small businesses. So besides free shipping, use the code podcast at checkout for a free keychain with purchase. All you need to do is choose from one of their three keychains on their website and place in your cart and use podcast at checkout and you'll get that thing for free. All right, let's get back to the episode. How did you break that mold and go into something where now that it is much more of like a, you know, like a well-oiled machine? Um, I think it was, you know, and and that went back to the personnel thing. I want to make every horse work. Um, I want to make every person work and I want to just do whatever we have to do to make it work for you. And so Mm -hmm. someone, you know, says, oh, like, I'm not working because like my chair is not comfortable. Like I'll just send them a chair and be like, okay, let's get working. You know, Uh like you can't, there's a lot you can't fix and people need to take responsibility for themselves. And, Mm. you know, and I think this industry lends you to very much get in too close to people and not having that kind of employee employer relationship, the client trainer relationships, very complicated. Like we're all in on this horse thing. Like when I have free time, I go and show my horse at the horse show. Mm-hmm. When I have free time, I go play with my buddies. Like yeah. we're all in. And so our friendships and our, you know, we go out to dinner and like we travel together, like what most people would call a vacation. We call a horse show and call work, you know, like, yeah. and so like, I think about like friends in the real world that I would vacation with. And I'm like so much closer to my horse Mm-hmm. friends and employees and clients and colleagues. And it's, it's hard. It's really think- hard. Cause as much as you want to treat your equestrian business as a business, as far as mm-hmm. structure and everything at the end of the day, it's impossible to take a hundred percent of the emotion out of it because it is, it is a lifestyle and a passion and for the majority of the people involved, um, you know, at least for people who have the longevity in the sport. So it's always this kind of like teetering line between, you know, running your business in a way that works and is structured well for the most success, but then also having a little bit of grace and having a specific mindset that just like you were saying, like if you're at a show working and you have free time, you're going to go show. And, you know, it's just such a unique thing that's hardly anywhere else in the world. And I struggled with that too. Um, I meet with uh, Tanya Johnston who does um, our podcast with us um, and she's the best. Yeah. And like, she's had this talk with me that like when I'm warming up to horse show, I'm not the plaid horse. Mm. Like, cause I'll have clients like come try to talk to me when I'm like warming up and I'm yeah. like, Oh my God, they're a client. I have to talk to them, you know? And she's like, no, you don't have to talk to them. You go on three trips. Like, okay. Trips. <laughs> I can, like, they can like, but I'm like, well, what if they become rude? And uh-huh. she's like, Oh my God. <laughs> I love it. But it's hard. And I, I don't want anyone to 
my whole thing is I want to include everyone. So Mm -hmm. the thought of like not being inclusive, even when I'm spending a ton of money to get the horse show, I need to focus on my horse and my horse showing to be safe and to be, you know, good to him is still like hard. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of my favorite things of the plot horse is that it really is a place that all equestrians feel welcome. And I think that's something that you do so well. Back in 2014, when you first got it, what was your original big dream goal for it? And how do you feel like that has kind of aligned with your original goals to where you are today with it? I'm not sure that I recognized it as my passion for a few years, um, to be honest. Um, I'm not sure I had any big goals with it. I was really hurt by both of the times I screwed up. I was really hurt Mm -hmm. by leaving the horse world and I was really hurt by, you know, leaving chemistry and I could have stayed in both of them, but I was hurt enough that I didn't want to. And to be honest, like, I, I think that some of the horse world felt really safe to me because I, I, in a lot of ways felt like I couldn't fail because like everybody looked down on me so much for leaving science. Mm -hmm. And I have parents that come up to me at every single horse show still I go to. And they'll, they'll like, my mom can be standing next to me and they will walk up to me and be like, well, what do you, what does your mom think about you not using your degree? (laughs) And I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) like this, like quote unquote, not using my degree, which I've never thought of it like that until other people said Mm -hmm. it to me. Like, I think I use my degree every day. Like I learned so much. I learned so many skills. I learned so much about myself. I learned how to be good. And I, Other people get that in other places. I'm not saying that Mm -hmm. higher education is the only place you can get that. But where I got that was higher education. And I give it full credit for that. And I think that like, you know, this industry, like it, it doesn't seem competitive to people outside of it. And Mm -hmm. and that's not true. We all know if we're in it, we all know what it's like, but I, I think I saw it as not having to put myself out there. And for the first few years in the magazine, I didn't put myself out there. I didn't post about myself on Facebook. I didn't talk about myself. I didn't have the confidence to share with my audience. Like I talked about all of this stuff that I felt abstractly, but I never said like, I feel in 2014, I was not 2015, 2016. I was not like, I feel like I came into this knowing no one, like I've had to walk up and stick my paw out to every single person I wanted to meet. And it's been scary. And I'm walking up to people I don't know. Like I have to force myself. And sometimes I bribe myself by getting a pedicure. I'm like, okay, if you talk to three more people at this party, you can get a pedicure. (laughs) (laughs) But as slowly, I've really met truly exceptional people. And they've given me the confidence to tell my story. And I've told it a little bit. And I've gotten so much support. And Mm -hmm. every time we do anything, I realize how universal all these opinions are, um, how universal bad experiences are and people having PTSD in our sport and people feeling shame over stuff that was said to them when they were, you know, 14. And like, like I love horses more than anything. And that stuff drove me away. And cause like, I couldn't take it. You know, I didn't have the coping mechanisms. I didn't have the skills. Like I'm emotional and sensitive and I couldn't do it. And if I can give other people those coping mechanisms, like for women's sake, mental health sake, for all these sakes. Mm -hmm. And then for the other sake is, I mean, we lose an astonishing number of members from USF and USHA every year. And the easiest people to bring into the sport are the people who already know how to do it. 
the people who know how to horse show, who know how to tack up a horse already. We don't have to start from scratch. Like the easiest people to grow our sport with, the like less burden on the system, on trainers, on everyone, is would be to bring back all the people who left. And like mm-hmm. people leave for so many different reasons, but I think that it's personal, it's emotional but also it's economical. Like, I think it's good economics to say, welcome. And anything you want to jump is great. And like, come join us. Um, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you as a fan. We'd love to have you in the walk trot division. We'd love to have you. Um, we'd love to have you as an owner. I mean, I've talked to so many people who have left this sport or left showing at the rated level and a lot of them didn't need to. And that's sad mm-hmm. for them as a person. And it's also sad for our whole sport and our trainers and our economics. And I didn't see this big picture in the beginning for sure. And about Three years in, there was some interest in buying the company and I really had to to think about it. And that thought process made me really realize that like, this was a passion I didn't know that I had. Like, I want to do this in 10 years. I want to do this in 20 years. Like, this is my thing. I didn't know what my thing was. And I ran myself into the ground looking for my thing. And then my thing just showed up and I didn't even, (laughs) it knocked at the door and I was like, Oh, (laughs) like this is it for me. I mean, I just, I see the difference we make every day. This mom messaged me on Facebook yesterday that, um, we had done an article about her daughter who has Tourette's and then shows in the pony hunters. And then someone else messaged her from that article that their daughter also had Tourette's and also qualified for pony finals. And then the two girls were FaceTiming and neither one had ever talked to anyone else who had Tourette's and was trying to ride through it. So cool. Um, And I've like chills even talking about it right now. I mean, that's, I can do this every day, like, cause that's the feedback I get. And you know, the plaid horse is often the very first place people are published. And it's so exciting. I have every single issue that comes out. I have grandmothers calling me and grandfathers being like, can I get a copy of this issue? You know, my grandchild is in it. I just, that's, that's what the smart is all about. And we're all out there doing our best. And like anytime anyone doesn't win, it's not, not from lack of trying. We're all trying out there and it all shows up in different ways and different economics and different talent and ability and fitness and all this stuff. And we all like to win, but it's really about the horses. And I think we kind of lost that for a few years as a sport. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like with a bigger sense of community and I, I mean, you said it in 2014 that social media was going to be a big thing in the industry. And for all the haters that didn't believe you, like look now, because I think I really do think it's a huge part of what's piecing this industry back together. And it's amazing to see how real people are getting that the conversations people are having and just things that have been needed for decades. And it's cool to see that and avenues like uh, the plot horse magazine and the plaid cast and, and things that you've been able to do to keep those conversations going has been incredible. And I'm very multi-passionate also. There's lots of things that I love to do and seeing stuff like that and seeing people be able to make relationships with other people through your platforms. is just like, Oh my gosh, this is why I do it. This is, this totally makes it worth any potential headache or anything that you would go through. Um, because I mean, I, Oh my gosh, I, I know. So I, and I can't imagine the work that you go through and all of the emails and details it takes. Cause it's like your job has got to be, I mean, it's more than a full-time job. It, it you know, like it is. And, and if you're not careful, it can be 
all consuming, I'm sure. Absolutely. You know, and I, I set boundaries. Like when I, I mean, not that anyone's going out to eat anymore, but, um, you know, I travel a lot and mm-hmm. when I'm home, you know, if I go out to eat with my husband ever, like I don't, I just don't even bring my phone because if yeah. I have my phone, I can't control myself. I have created sustainable habits, which, you know, like took me a long time and took me a long time to figure out. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of like wanting to guilt people in the science is the same way as the barn of like, Oh, I got here earlier than you did this morning. You know, totally. Yeah. Um, I rode more horses than you did yesterday. Uh And the first year I did this, I, okay. So I live across the border from Ottawa, like literally in the middle of nowhere, like my Mm. closest horse show. (laughs) I mean, I drive 12 hours for a horse show and don't even think about it. Wow. My first year, I think I went to 62 horse shows owning the pod horse because I thought I had to cover everything. And I thought (laughs) that we had to be everywhere and I had to pass out magazines and put them in everyone's hands. And like that wasn't wrong, but like, that's not sustainable. You know, that's not like I gained a lot of weight because I was eating at McDonald's all the time. Like I wasn't working out. I had no, you know, no time, no time, no like path, no time for myself. I never let my phone out of my paw, like ever. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not sustainable. You know, it's, it's sometimes you need a kick in the pants to get any project going. Just like some horses, you need a kick in the pants to, to get them started getting trained. But like, you can't, that's not a forever thing. And you need to look at yourself and your staff and say, like, if I want this group to be with me in five years, like we can't operate like this. Well, it seems like third time's a charm because while maybe the first two times got a little burnt out, it seems like you've put the right steps in place to make this what your original goal was, which was this was going to be your thing. And it has become such an incredible thing to watch um, from my viewpoint and from everyone that's a part of the community. So I just want to thank you so much for all the stuff you're doing and I'm looking forward to continuing watching your journey and I wish you all the best and thank you for taking the time again. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.